0: Morning. It's a good, good day to uh, be in church. It's a good day to seek the Lord and, and seek his truth. Yeah So thanks Ken for communion. That was awesome. So again, we have been talking the last four weeks on our series on prayer and and fasting and how to pray the way that uh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray the way the bible speaks to us to pray that Our prayers would be more powerful that we would literally be under God's will and in his will as we pray for the same things that he wants And with that, we asked last week that uh, everyone take a little while and fast for at least one meal or one day to seek God's will for Wasatch Christian Church, as he's blessed us so abundantly with resources, with people, with everything, today with food for potluck, that uh, we want to seek God's will for what he would have us to do as a church, and for what he would have us to do here as individuals and how we find joy and pleasure in serving him and I do pray that as you were here today and every Sunday that this is a place not only of inspiration and reminding and encouragement for you and growth but it's also a place where you find that God is using you and moving you and and making you purposeful in a way that he has created you as an individual to be able to bless this church and this congregation and others that uh, you find true purpose here so today's message is on vision And I'm not talking about when you get older and you you lose your vision and you need glasses or contacts or LASIK, but we're talking about vision for our church for the coming year and what God has called us to do and how do we move forward to accomplish the task? Well, for our mission, our vision as a church, We have our mission and our vision pretty well set from the very beginning of Wasatch Christian Church. We've not been a church that every year we come out with a new fancy logo and a new little saying that, hey, this year this is our state and purpose, you know, we don't have a lot of that, little catchphrases and and slogans. But we do have an overall vision that through the entire history of Wasatch Christian Church, from the very foundation that God established it, this has been our vision and our purpose and we continue it. That is, we are dedicated to the teaching of God's word. Dedicated to the teaching of God's truth. And that comes from, and you see it on our logo and then other stuff, comes from John 17, 17. And Jesus speaks and he says this, sanctify them in truth, and your word is truth. And our purpose, our vision as a church is to teach that truth to all who would be willing to hear that they would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. So today we want to look at a scripture that kind of outlines how we can do that in a practical basis. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't, go sit next to somebody that has one or we can hit the library and there's lots of Bibles in there. So Matthew chapter 9, three simple verses, verses 35 to 38. And i'm going to read this out of the niv version this morning it says this jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd then after all that he says to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field and we stop there this little passage fits within the framework of what Jesus has been doing and where we've been going through as a church that he's walking through in his his short couple of years of ministry and he's teaching and preaching in the synagogues he's he's healing other people and he's literally showing the disciples what it is to be a man or a woman of God and he's showing them by example if you remember that during this time you know there were there were rabbis and they were quote the religious leaders and they were you know the sages the wise people in the church and they knew the the word of God and they would have their disciples and different than us today where you know you wanted to to learn about how to be a pastor or an evangelist or something you know you sign up to one of the the local christian schools or you go out of state on a school or you get online and you study and you do this during this time the way you learned was you were a disciple of a certain rabbi and you would follow him around everywhere and you would mimic him and do everything that he did it was hands on training. I mean, if he went someplace to eat and he ate this, uh, you know, the fig pudding, then you went and ate the fig pudding. If he went over here and did this, then you would go and do that. You would literally just follow him and imitate him in everything he did. So the picture that we get here is Jesus is taking on that, that position of, of the rabbi, the Messiah, the Christ, the, the, the anointed one. And he's got his disciples walking around with him, and his hope is. Is that they are like the disciples that they are watching him and observing him and doing everything that he does which of course we know from reading the New Testament they didn't do so well did they I mean they struggled they often argued with Jesus when he said hey we're doing this and they're like no wait a minute you can't do that so they struggled but in the midst of that he is still teaching them and training them and equipping them and what he does here is he walks through He's doing hands on practical ministry wherever he goes. He's healing, he's teaching, he's, he's preaching, he's doing all this stuff. And then he basically turns to the disciples and he says, Okay, guys, now it's your turn. And he passes the baton, in a sense, of his ministry, on to the disciples that would follow him. Now, that has impact for us today. Because who are Christ's disciples today? We are, right? And in essence, it's the same picture that he is passing the baton of gathering this harvest to us. So we wanna look at three basic principles in these small three verses of what Jesus is teaching the disciples to apply those to our lives. So first one, if you're keeping notes, is this. Jesus met the needs of the people. He met the needs. Matthew 9:35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness so you see a twofold ministry here one he's preaching and teaching right but then he's hands on he's practically healing and blessing the people with healing them of their diseases and sickness you know in some of the early mission stories if you go back and you read some of the biographies of these great missionaries Uh, that went have gone before us into the world to present the gospel one thing they found out was that you can't just go in and preach and teach because people don't listen it's when you begin to meet the needs of the people that they begin to have interest in you right it's when you meet them where they're at and you help them with what they need you meet a physical need a spiritual need an emotional need a social need a financial need that they begin to say, oh, maybe there's something here. Maybe I should listen. Jesus put who he was and all that he was about in the practical use of the people that he met. In this story in Matthew 9, we see Jesus actually heals six different people of various diseases. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but how many people have you healed lately? Not too many, right? So he heals a man who could not walk, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, a girl who died, two blind men, and a man that was demon-possessed. He touched their lives in a very practical and real way. You think that have an impact on you? You go to the doctor, you get the news of that C word. You've got cancer. And you've got four months to live. Three months into that, Jesus shows up and blesses you and touches you and heals you, and you no longer have cancer would that impact you I'm sure it would right our society has very real needs now today we're not talking about the needs that we normally talk about like we do with the homeless bags with clothing with finances with food but we're talking about the spiritual and emotional needs of our community that we live in I think there's three areas that as Christians we need to address under this heading of meeting the needs of the people like Jesus did that aren't just the physical needs. We all know about those. We all donate, we all give, we all care for those. But the spiritual and emotional needs are sometimes more important than those physical needs, right? I mean, if you are lonely, would you rather have somebody there to talk with you and spend time with you or sandwich? You're gonna want that relational connection, right? So the first one under this one heading is people need connection. They need connection. Our society has lost the connectedness that we once used to have. I mean, you think not even more than hundred years ago, you probably had three generations of family living under the same roof, at least three, maybe four, right? We uh, used to be involved in our community. We'd have community dances, community events, you know, big community things as churches. We would have these great big things. And Within the last 25, 35 years, we've lost that connection. Now, our neighborhoods are more about condos and apartments and people living in their own little world. It's about connecting by Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. It's not about getting together. And especially this last year, as we have seen even the body of Christ, where we've been quarantined and told we can't meet, and people are now working remotely from homes, we are more disconnected than ever. I find it interesting that uh, the company I work for in the secular world over the course of the last few years has constantly offered X amount of free counseling sessions for people that have not been in the office anymore, and now they're working remotely from home, spending 24/7 with everybody who's in the home, and they're struggling with loneliness and depression. Talked to another pastor uh, just two weeks ago, and we were kind of comparing notes about how after the churches and and restaurants and and businesses were shut down during COVID, how it was with people coming back. Because a lot of churches did like God blessed us with, with going online, with having different ways to worship and present the gospel message. And he said, you know, it's really interesting. We probably have 25% of our church that were so involved and so dedicated and always there that they just don't show anymore. Now their excuse is, they still watch it online, but what does the Bible say that as Christians, we are called to do. We're told, do not be out of fellowship. It's a direct command, do not be out of fellowship. Don't be like the pagan heathen world, but be in fellowship, right? And here we are in a modern church, where a good portion of our church, especially after the last two years, they're not in church anymore. If you look up church statistics on the current state, we have Christians that are crying out, that are lonely, they're depressed, they're, they're hurting, they're in need, but they're disconnected. They're isolated. They're alone. And their only avenue to be in any kind of fellowship, again, is on those online platforms or maybe seeing a neighbor. We live in a society where people need connection. God, I think, has created us with this innate need to be fellowship i mean you look at how god's created this relationship you know you get young people and they want to be together and they want to get married and do all this stuff before they have the brains to know not to do that right that's a joke okay but they want to be together they want to be in a relationship and we have a world right now that is crying out and dying to be connected to be part of a relationship and part of something that is worthwhile to be a part of You know, I can tend to be a Lone Ranger in my life a lot of times. Christy will tell you that very honestly, but getting together the last few weeks with um, Austin and, and his wife and Timmy and with others, it reminded me that even though us Lone Rangers, we need connection. We need that social interconnection with other people. One, to broaden and challenge us. Two, for overall happiness and contentment. Why? Because that's how God's made us. He's made us to be in relationship, right? We don't have a God that is way out there, we have a God that we are in relationship with, right? The old hymn: he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. It's all about relationship. And I guarantee you, and you can probably speak from your history, when you are isolated and disconnected, it may be nice for a while to shut the world off, But long-term, how's that work for you? It's painful, it's hurting, and you struggle. We need to be a church that purposely desires to connect with people, to build relationships, to be in that social framework, and to be part of that. Number two, people need the truth. People need the truth. The sad part about our world today is that They like the hallmark card version of the gospel, right? Where it's beginning, something happens in the first 30 minutes of the movie, and then there's a tragedy, and after 30 minutes, boom! It's all pretty and back together, and it ends wonderfully and better than when it began, right? Life doesn't always work that way, right? Sometimes life is messy. I mean, Jesus is very clear, I mean, you won't see this in the hallmark version of the Bible, but he says trials and tribulations will happen it rains on the righteous it rains on the unrighteous it's unfair that some who are not Christians will seem to do so much better than you and you as the Christian will seem to suffer it's unfair bad things happen it's not that Hallmark version but Christ calls us as a church to be different one to be interconnected with people because we need connection. God made us to be in relationship, but also we need the truth and that truth is to not be like our world that is critical and negative and judgmental. If you notice that in the media and the sitcoms and the news and the people you talk with, it's so easy to gather together and be critical of everything, right? those boneheads if they only knew what they were doing if they'd only listen to me right well what are they doing in our government this is crazy well did you see what happened without this person we live in a world that not only thrives on fear with the media but also on negativism criticalness judgment blame you notice that in your world do you see it around you in contrast colossians chapter 4 6 tells us this as christians it says let your conversation your speech be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone let your speech be always full of grace We talk about we are salt and light. Jesus gives us those analogies of who we are in the world. Salt is preserving, but it also adds flavor, doesn't it? If you watch the cooking shows, they always say, well, let's just throw in a pinch of salt, and they put in about six handfuls, right? What that salt does is it acts like a catalyst in the food, and it draws out the natural flavors of that food to make it, in essence, more flavorful than it already is. It doesn't per se change the food so much, but it draws that flavor out to be more enhancing, more powerful. In our society that's misguided by all that negativism and criticism and, and judgment and blame, God calls us to be full of grace. To have speech that encourages and builds up. You know the Bible says as long as it's called today, do what? Encourage one another, encourage. We are to be the builders-uppers of people with our speech and our attitude. And third thing under this first heading is this. We need to be people of hope. You think we've lost hope in our society? You think people are struggling, thinking, there's no light at the end of this tunnel. It's just getting worse and worse. I mean, two years ago, we we're like, oh yeah, we hit this date, and everything's open back up. It's all done and back to normal. Well, is it? We're still hearing about the same issues with shortages, and supply chain issues, and, and stores running out, and people rioting, and we still have the same issues. It's not over, is it? And when things are bad, I mean, it's one thing if, you know, we look at, like, the Christians, the, the missionaries, this last two weeks that were... Um, Captured in Haiti and we think oh that's bad. We should pray for them But when it happens to us, it's like oh god, this is bad Right. Well, it's happening to us in the neighborhood in the society in the culture in which we live It's rough right now, isn't it and the overall feeling isn't like let's get up this morning and jump for joy Because that's an awesome day. It's gonna be great (laughs) We roll out of bed like what? Going to happen today i just you know i'm just not in the mood i just i just don't want to go there does that hit home anywhere does that seem familiar it's just it's just like i mean it's just down and negative and hard and fearful we need to be a people of hope i found an odd verse out of psalm 33 verses 17 and 18. now you got to remember this is back in the time of an agrarian society So it says this, a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. And we're all going, well, duh, yeah, we know that, right? Not too many of us have hope, have horses in our yard, so we can be delivered and go away. But in this time, if you had a horse and enemies or someone attacked, what could you do? You could take off and escape. So it says a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord were on those who fear him. And those whose hope is is in his unfailing love where do we get hope we look to Jesus the provider and author and perfecter of our faith we've talked about over the last couple four weeks that when you pull Christians they say do you believe God answers prayer and they're like yes God answers prayer are you praying no well if you know God answers prayer why aren't you praying If we know God has our future in His hands, why aren't we living like that, with confidence, without fear? Does God have your future in His hands? Do we live like that in real life, that we truly believe that? You see, we need to be a people of hope, in the right direction. Even during the time of Jesus, when He was coming in for that Passover, the Jews... And the Hebrews were looking for a savior, but it was the wrong kind of savior, right? It was a political savior that would save them from the overbearance of Rome. Or it was a great warrior that would come in and lead them into freedom. The people looked for a savior. And then when all these messiahs that would come in year after year didn't meet them, they were done with them. And in Jesus' case, crucify him, right? God tells us that our hope is found in looking to Jesus. Our hope is in Him, why? Because He is greater than anything, there is nothing that can separate us from Him, and He does have our future in His hands. He told us the end of the story of what would happen, but He also says, I am always with you, I will send you a helper, I will provide, as Ken shared in communion, he goes, I will give you your daily needs every day. You don't need to stress and worry about that. I will provide. I am your great Jehovah Jireh, God provider. And we need to catch on to that as Christians and not look like our culture and be people of hope. And when they look at us and they say, well, how can you be so hopeful so confident? I mean, do you have billions of dollars banked up? No, I've got a treasure in heaven wow how does that work is that like bitcoin or what what is that you know when they look at us and they say aren't you worried about what is going on no because god's got my future and he gives me wisdom and discernment and understanding and he goes before me in that straight and narrow path and he calls me just to follow it's so easy to follow isn't it i mean you just kind of do, 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 do you know follow whoever it's hard to lead but it's easy to follow and Jesus says, you just do this. Follow me. I will lead, I'll go before you. I'll survey what's there, but follow me. And I'll give you rest for your souls. I'll lead you to green pastures, which is an indication of having plenty. I'll lead you beside the roaring, raging waters. Is that what it says? I'll lead you besides the what? Still waters. You will have contentment rest if you look to me we need to be a people in this culture that is dying for a light at the end of the tunnel that is dying for an end to all this to come and go away and everything be better again we need to be a people of hope but the hope that leads them the only eternal hope that is because a temporal hope is no good Jesus raised Lazarus from the death, from dead, right? That was pretty cool, Martha and Mary there, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. That's awesome. Now you know what Lazarus had to do? He had to die again. It's a temporal hope. And Jesus says, trust in me for all eternity. Our hope needs to be eternal. Point two, Jesus hurt for the people jesus hurt for the people matthew 9 36 second verse in our study when jesus saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd well a few people in this room have grown up with sheep what do sheep do when they don't have a shepherd to leave them Just stray all over. I mean, they'll devastate wherever they are with food, and they'll not go there. They won't drink because the water's raging. They just scatter. Sheep just go everywhere, right? They, They don't have a sense of coming together in a leadership way or banding together. They just scatter because there's no one to lead them. Jesus had a deep sense of caring for the needs of the people. You know, you see, as we read in Matthew 90, as he walks through and he healed these six people, that he looked out and he went to them where they were at and where they were hurting. He felt compassion for them. Let me ask you this. When you're feeling down, lonely, without hope, when you're in a really fragile place, would it be nice for someone to show compassion you wouldn't that be a great desire? Jesus felt compassion for the people. He was willing to hurt with them. You know, in my old weird medieval thing, I like the you know the old medieval movies, you know, with William Wallace and Braveheart and all that. And if you know the story they go through, and William Wallace gets killed and he actually gets betrayed. At the end of the movie his betrayer comes back and of course it ends in a good thing his betrayer comes back and he's there with the armies of the irish and the scottish and they're facing the army of england and england thinks they're going to surrender and this man who betrayed william wallace and got him killed essentially finally comes to the realization that the people of scotland need their freedom and he looks back at the armies that are behind him that are ready to surrender and throw down their arms. And he said, if you bled with Wallace, now bleed with me. And if you fought with Wallace, fight with me. And as the story goes, in Dunkirk that day, they won their freedom and overcame the English. And Scotland was finally free. Jesus looks as a people as he walked through the places, and he felt compassion for them. Now, don't tell Tara, but I'm going to put her back in a sermon illustration today, so don't let her know, because she'll be mad at me again. So we go to the grocery store on a regular basis, you know, sadly to the point that pretty much everyone in the store knows us. In fact, I was going through the other day, and one of the people were like, he comes here every day. (laughs) Which is not 100% true. Maybe 98, but not 100% true. But Christy and Tara have started doing something, which is... Really pretty cool. We get out of the car, and we're walking to the grocery store, and I'm looking for a little card. And as we're walking into the grocery store, they start praying for the people inside. We're starting to know their names, they know us, we have conversations. They, people will freely tell you their woes of the day and how stupid everybody is, and all the customers in the store, and what's going on. And these two start praying for the people in the store that they can be a witness. And instead of saying hey have a great day it's like hey we'll be praying for you simple little things but i think it makes an impact on them don't you i think that makes a difference because when someone says hey i'll be praying for you it's like you, you, you what i don't know of too many people that when you said hey i'll be praying for you like oh no, no no don't do that that's that spiritual religious thing I'll, Don't be doing that. I've even had people that are not Christians that when they're going through struggling, I'm like, can I pray for you? And they're like, you know what? We really appreciate that. They may not believe in God, but to have someone there coming beside them and praying for them, they're like, yeah, you know, I'll take anything right now, right? And that's where people are in our society that at this point, they'll take anything, right? And God has placed us here as salt, as light, and you don't put a light under a basket to hide it. You put it on a hill to shine, to be a beacon to safety. We need to have compassion for others in the most simple places. And I think what these two ladies are doing is having compassion for the people in these grocery stores that their lives, they're working two or three jobs, they're not happy, they're dealing with demanding customers every day, they're struggling, And here come two gals, encouraging them and saying, hey, we'll pray for you. And they touch the lives of those people in a very simple way. We have to remember that the people we run into have been blinded. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this. This is out of the New Living Translation. Satan, the god of this evil world, has blinded... Has blinded the minds of those who don't believe so that they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news that is shining upon them they don't understand the message we preach about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God one of the reasons they're struggling is they've been blindfolded on purpose and they can't see the light in the truth I don't know, as a kid, maybe as an adult, maybe it's really kind of weird. Did you ever play that game where you purposely put on blindfolds and you had to find other people or find your way out and do something? And you're reaching and you're stumbling and you're feeling. And we used to watch some of the, the uh, shows on TV where they had them go through a maze and they're blindfolded. And they're running into things and falling down. They're getting all these bruises and stuff because they can't see the past. I think that's where God has put us, is to have us there as salt and light to lead them in the path. That same game where you're blindfolded and you're trying to get through somewhere, find something and you're just reaching and touching and hoping you don't really biff it. What happens when someone who can see comes alongside you and says, here, just put your hands on my shoulder or take my hand and I will lead you to the end? Is it easier? It's a lot easier. All you have to do is put your hands on and shuffle your feet and trust them to get out, right? And then the blindfolds come on. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel and how God has made us? We're the ones who don't have the blindfolds on anymore because we've come to understand the grace and the goodness and the vastness of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's the only one that can take away our sins. He's the only one that can transform our mind. He's the only one that can make us content. He's the only one that can give that satisfaction. Reason Mick Jagger couldn't get no satisfaction is he didn't know Jesus, right? We are the ones that go into this blind world and say, hey, you look like you're lost. Yeah, I can't see anything. Why don't you put your arms on my shoulders? I will lead you out to where you can take the blinders off that's our role that's what it is to harvest to lead them to Jesus to come to salvation and have that blindness lifted from them where they are ripped out of Satan's hand and power and control and they're in new life in Jesus Christ and can now see why is that so important why do we show that compassion on people because as a church for too long we believe that the world should just listen to the message of the gospel which they should but if they don't have a reason to listen why would they how many times has someone said hey you should watch this you should see this you should do this and you're like oh yeah right when someone tells you you should what's your first reaction sarah don't show me what you do it's okay just kidding but our first reaction is to put up blockade right unless we have a reason to trust that person and think that they're really showing us something we'd be interested in that would benefit us if we have a reason to believe that they're there to help us then we're willing to listen right if the church is preaching the good news of the gospel but we don't give the world a reason to listen do you think they're gonna listen We need to let them know that they are in darkness, that there is a real hell, a real eternal damnation. But there is also a real hope and a new life where the past is gone and you are a new creation. We need to give them a reason to listen to the message that we have. Not just walk up like the street preachers be like, y'all going to hell well thank you appreciate that message that's good news for the day right we have to give them a reason to trust us to hear the message of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ and the fact is we can't influence our culture unless we're engaged in it right point three Jesus challenged his followers Jesus took the role of the harvesters of his ministry and put it directly on the on the shoulders of the disciples. Well, isn't that fun? Right? He gave them his ministry. He handed that baton off and said, Okay, boys, here you go. Now it's your turn. It's time for you to do all that you've seen me doing. We read in Matthew 9, 37, 38, again out of NIV, or verse 38, he says, Then Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So what do we learn from this? People are open to the message. Now, when I say that, how many are going, yeah, right, you don't know who I work with. they are not open to hearing about God. Jesus is saying, hey, the harvest is what? Is plentiful. It's in abundance, it's waiting to be harvested. And we're like, oh no, that's not gonna work. (laughs) It's not that big. You know, when I was a trainer, we used to have some interesting things where, um, one of the things we did was we moved a couple of years ago to online ordering. Well, our senior sales staff didn't want online ordering. Because they had grown up in a world of being in sales that if you didn't go to a customer and collect a check and get a sale, well, your life wasn't worth much. That was your whole purpose. You go see a customer, you get a check, you get a sale, boom, you've been effective for the day. Well, if someone's doing it on their phone, what do you suddenly feel like? You've just lost your purpose. And you're wondering what your purpose is because now they don't need me. Well, the (coughs) fact is that's exactly opposite. They do need you. They need you in a more consulting way, not just to take an order that they can do. I mean, they're already ordering from Amazon and eBay. Why can't they do their own orders, right? You need to fill a different role. But when we when we first did this and we polled our senior sales staff about how many of their customers would like to do online ordering, you know what they said? No one wants to do that. They're not going to do that. Are you crazy? Online ordering? What they're really saying is if they do that, there's no need for me, because they were scared. When we pulled the customers, you know it was over 86% that said, oh my gosh, are you serious? If I can order 24 seven and do my own orders? Oh, well, absolutely. But there was a disconnect, right? You see, what had happened is the salespeople came in and said, well, I know my customers, and I'm gonna make the decision for them because I know what they want. You know what the customer said you don't have a clue what i want because i want this it's easy it's convenient it's fast i have control sometimes when we look out and we're called to be those evangelists and to share and have the compassion we look at them like well you know i've shared tried to share the gospel with them three times and they shot me down every time they don't want to hear the gospel well, how do you know are you making up their mind for them Are we really asking them what they want and need what their questions are you see that's the problem is as christians as the church sometimes we have this fortress mentality that we build walls around our church that nobody comes in and nobody goes out it's all safe we're all here right but we don't grow that way we can't make up the minds of those we work in in our inner neighborhood for them we need to go and ask them would you like to hear would you like to hear about what the bible says about eternity would you be interested in it would you like to know why god talks about what's right and what's wrong and how that impacts your family and your children and your grandchildren and your finances and your social life would you like to know that we can't make up their minds for them because jesus implies that the harvest is plentiful in other words they do want to hear the message. We just have to package it in a way that tailors to them. Second part is, God's the one who changes the people. So often we get frustrated because we're like, I have to go and do this. I have to fix them and save them. No, that's not our role. We go and gather. We just have to present it and bring them to Jesus, and Jesus does the rest. John 6, 44. This is out of the message version, because it fits for for today. It says this, you're not in charge here. The Father who sent me is in charge. He draws the people to me. That's the only way you'll ever come. Only then I do my work putting people together, sitting them on their feet, ready for the end. In other words, translation is like, Jesus is saying, you're not the savior. You don't have to fix them or change them, that's what I do. You just have to introduce me to them. That's all you gotta do. Just a simple introduction. Hey, Ellen, this is Jesus, he's my best friend. Would you like to meet him? He's really cool, he's got long hair, he looks good. He's a nice guy, he's gonna really help you out a lot. Jesus, this is Ellen. You guys have a great day, right? It's Jesus who changes people, not us. And that's sometimes where we get caught up how many times have you tried to change or a better word would be fix someone how'd that go probably not very good right people don't like to be fixed right controlled manipulated I mean when's the last time you Got in a relationship and you walked to the relationship on the first date and said, hey, by the way, I'm John, and I just want to be manipulated for the rest of my life. I want you to tell me what's wrong and fix me. I want you to change me. We don't do that, do we? And if you recall in your life when you've tried to fix someone, it's probably blown up in your face, right? We bring people to Jesus and he fixes them. We just do the introduction. That's all we do. Last part of this, our role is to gather. That's what we're called to do. We're to gather. To meet our culture and society where they're at, to give them a reason to to hear the gospel and to gather. The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 6 verses 19 to 20, this is on NIV. We all know the great stories about the Apostle Paul, how he evangelizes his great missionary, and he, he established churches but here's what he is saying when he's speaking to the church Ephesians 6 19 and 20 says pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth anybody in here ever open your mouth much Paul saying whenever every single time whenever I open my mouth words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Well, I could stick that on my refrigerator and pray that every single day. How about you? Paul saying, I'm asking you to pray for me because I know I don't do it perfectly. And I know the stuff that comes out of my mouth is not always very good. In fact, sometimes it's more damaging than it is helpful. So he asked the church, he said, will you guys pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, it's for the sake of the gospel, and I'm fearless about it, and loving, and impacting. Pray for me that God would give me the words to say. You know, I've had many times in my life when I've walked in and I'm praying when when I'm in public, it's like, God, shut my mouth where it needs to be shut, and open it where I need to speak but Lord you be the one that speaks through me not me because I know what I speak when I speak what I want to and it usually ends in disaster so God you shut my mouth when necessary hold those words back that aren't good and then you open the floodgates of the words that you do want me to say well We've been praying for four weeks hopefully longer than that but as a church we've been praying for four weeks we asked last week we prayed and fasted and asked God to give us a vision And I think in these three verses in Matthew God gives us an inkling of we may not know what the great vision that God is that he wants to give us but he says here's what you can do when you start doing these things you're gonna see some pretty darn cool things happening here's the practical way you see I don't know about you but I know about me sometimes I get caught up in I gotta know the big picture. I gotta know what's happening, and you know, have it clear and precise. And God says, "No, you don't need to know that because I want to surprise you." Here's what I do want you to do, in a very practical and real basis. I want you to be in.